it was possible that the card hadn't been about Gansey's foretold tragedy at all, but rather about his life, how he walked side by side with death every day. Chapter 28, page 269, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and their focused, non-terminal, repeating phantasm, or a class five, full-roaming vapor best friend. A real cute one, too. <laughs> this is episode 10, and we're covering chapters 27 through 29 of The Raven Boys. We'll also be taking a deep dive on the tropes of ghost stories. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing The Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you want to have read the books before listening. Correct. We use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And we no longer have to say we're available. That's true. I should cross that out. <laughs> and a disclaimer from me, the podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, already started, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. No gray man violence. Nope. And with that, let's, let's get, get on into the, the episode. <laughs> A note up front, in the last episode, the Opal short story, we said that we would be covering chapters 27 through 30. We have a bit of a change up and we're just going to shuffle chapter 30 into episode 11. It's a really short chapter. It happens the same day as those chapters that follow it. So it made more sense that way. Chapter 27, Blue POV. Blue receives a phone call from Gansey at 300 Fox Way one Sunday morning and is immediately afterwards called on the carpet by Mora for sneaking around. Sneaking, not... Anyway, they discussed... <laughs> They discuss the making of bad decisions and how Blue should avoid them, all while copious amounts of vodka are being consumed. You always put too much. <laughs> There's no such thing. <laughs> So very first thing I noticed was things are really starting to happen at this point. It's so much faster after finding the Mustang and all of that that they find Noah's body than I remember it being. Yeah, it's, it's all <laughs> it's, happens a lot faster than I remember it. Right. Like everything. It's picking up. Blue is having a little moment of rejecting the call here. Mm -hmm. She's been spending all her time with the boys, but now she's missing her dogs by proxy and feeling low on money and feeling bad about lying to Mora. Mm -hmm. And so she says she finds it impossible now to imagine giving up the boys. Mm -hmm. So she had to reconcile the two worlds. Right. But first she had to walk the dogs. Practical and magical. Correct. <laughs> I did notice in this chapter, and I may have noted it later, but she very much at the beginning in this chapter, particularly, the boys are a collective. Uh-huh. It's very much all of them as an entity. Right. So Blue is literally walking out the door when Gansey calls. It was Gansey's unmistakable polite voice, the one he used to turn straw into gold. I was thinking, is Gansey the princess or Rumpelstiltskin here? <laughs> it feels like the princess because he seems tied up in everything mm -hmm. rather than being the one in, I, in some ways. I clued into it being Rumpelstiltskin. It's not the most flattering comparison, mm -hmm. but I do believe that the phrase suits him because he seems to be able to sweet talk his way into pretty much anything. This is true. Mm -hmm. Despite Blue's growing suspicion that her secrecy couldn't last, she wasn't sure how she felt about the fact that he could have blown her cover. 
Blue, you have no cover. Yeah. It's There's like... been no cover. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're not that sneaky. <laughs> Blue chides Gansey for calling since he could have gotten someone else in the house. He replied that he was prepared for that eventuality. I'm like, I wonder, what, what was your plan, Gansey? What... <laughs> so Orla picks up the phone. Hello. <laughs> and Gansey's like, uh... <laughs> that was... That was his plan. <laughs> uh-huh. She notes that Gansey's voice doesn't quite sound like his face looked. And I've definitely known people like that. And I can it kind of feels appropriate that that's how Gansey is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mean to be condescending, Blue told herself. She told herself several times. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't mean He's... it. Doesn't, doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. Like, I've definitely been in those situations where, like... The person just keeps putting their foot in their mouth. <laughs> Gansey has foot and mouthitis. Absolutely. So Gansey asks Blue to go with him, just exploring, just him, and he suggests going to the church. And Blue notices that he kind of falters and wonders why that might be. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes she's never been anywhere with just him. Right. And she responds to the invitation by saying that she has to walk the dogs. Right. Oh, Gansey replied, sounding deflated. Well, okay. But it only took an hour. Oh, he repeated, about 14 shades brighter. (laughs) Shall I pick you up then? And this makes me laugh so much, especially the 14 shades brighter bit. Just because he's all like, (sighs) okay, but didn't he like hitchhike across Poland by himself? He doesn't need Blue to go to the church with him. No, but that's not what this is about. (laughs) Even though he... (laughs) I don't understand, Gansey. <laughs> Blue says to meet her in the parking lot. Brilliant. Top shelf. Top shelf. <laughs> this is my favorite. Yes. Uh, I feel like Gansey saying top shelf might actually count as an old man thing. I, I think for it the, might. For the drinking game. Uh-huh. And then Blue thinks to herself, kind of like, Gansey without Adam. And she wasn't sure how this would work. And Blue thinks, despite Adam's tentative interest, is it tentative? It certainly doesn't seem to be tentative from his POV. It's definitely pretty strong. Yeah. This already starts sort of a divide between the two of them for the Uh reader. Right. Blue thinks to herself that the boys seem to act as a unit, a single multi-headed entity. To see any of them without the presence of the others felt a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. Dangerous how? She might trip and fall on his lips? (laughs) (laughs) The line also echoes Gansey and Ronan as the two-headed beast. Mm -hmm. And again, she very much seems to think of them as a collective throughout this chapter. Right. They make their plans and Blue hangs up and then she hears from the other room, Blue, <laughs> my child, my child, come in here. Yeah. And I just like, that is so my mom when she's mad at me. The syrupy sweet voice. <laughs> yeah. And yet Blue is surprised that Mora calls her right after the phone is hung up. Your mom is a psychic dumbass. <laughs> Do you really think you're being sly? <laughs> she's she's said numerous times that she can't lie to them. I know. <laughs> so the women all looked up at her with indolent smiles, a pack of lionesses. Mm-hmm. And like, I could just see them all. She walked into the room and they just turned to her. <laughs> yeah. Also something Blue references for Kala in chapter 15 when she compares Ronan as a wild cat and Kala as a lioness. Uh-huh. 
And I don't think it means anything specific, but I have mint green love <laughs> underlined <laughs> in my book. I'm like, it says mint and love in the same sentence. <laughs> doesn't mean anything, I'm sure. Except there's fuzz all over her pants. I don't know. It's... <laughs> oh, Persephone, you make them with far too much vodka. No such thing, Mora. <laughs> I mean, vodka with too much vodka is not too much vodka. <laughs> Vodka is not my favorite. So Moira looks at Blue and says, sit with us a moment, Blue. Talk to us about yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And oh, let's just talk about these last few weeks. Yeah. Does Moira only call Blue on it now because she somehow knows or senses that it's the first time Blue will be alone with Gansey? Maybe. It does seem like suspicious timing as far as it I'm does. concerned. It does. And Blue herself has noted that this feels different. Mm-hmm. And Mora says, I'm not your dungeon master, interrupted Mora. Roll a d20. <laughs> you were waiting for that joke. I was waiting for that joke. <laughs> I'm not going to bolt you in your room or send you to a convent for crying out loud. So you can just stop all the sneaking around stuff right now. You are not a rogue. Just stop. <laughs> You are maybe a bard. <laughs> druid. I'd say druid. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we are not going to have this conversation right now, are we? <laughs> Quick. Break down Raven Cycle characters as D&D classes. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Some other time. Anyway, that's totally a deep dive we can do sometime. Oh my god, no. Oh, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Maybe it'll um, be a Tumblr post. <laughs> so Blue was adamant she wasn't sneaking. Again, you said yourself numerous times you can't lie to them. Because you rolled a one. That's why. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me to stop the D&D jokes? No. <laughs> All right. Okay, fine. No, you don't have to stop the D&D jokes. <laughs> and then she says, I've been your mother since you were born, and I promise you, you were. This is my, it might be my favorite Mora line. I absolutely adore it because it is so completely <laughs> and literally true. <laughs> like, yes, you have indeed been her mother since she was born. <laughs> and yet it seems to have so many implications mm-hmm. because it's basically Mora telling Blue, I know you. Blue is known by her mm-hmm. mother and all of the main characters really long to be known for who they really are. Right. And Mora does know Blue. Right. mm. Yeah. Orla told me about his muscle car. One of the things I'm saddest about being cut from any draft of anything is Mora driving off in the pig and Persephone telling Blue that her mother used to be a drag racer. Oh, yes. Original draft. Mora, like, drives off in the pig and Persephone's like... Did your mother ever tell you she used to drag race? And I'm like, why did, why did this not happen? Why did this? Oh, no. Why did and she Ronan's that? like, that's impressive. Oh, my God. Why did this not happen? Oh this makes me so sad now. It's so good. Oh, man, I want that so badly. <laughs> Moore asks, 
You aren't planning on kissing him, are you? And Blue replies, Mom, that'll never happen. You did meet him, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm like, I love how the Foxway ladies are all like, this is going to happen. Well, at the same time, Mora at least is like, don't let this happen. Yeah, Mora, I think we talked about before, seems to be denying fate. Right. Even though she knows that there's not really much of a reason to do so. Right. She seems to be fighting against it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't blame her. She's a mom. Yeah. And then the one I really liked, Maura says, I wasn't sure if driving an old loud Camaro was the male equivalent of shredding your t-shirts and gluing cardboard trees to your bedroom walls. And I'm like, yes, the two of us agree that that is exactly what it is. (laughs) Yes, my book said it is actually. (laughs) And seriously, someone mentioned Blue and Gansey Arts and Craft Nights. And now I cannot get the picture out of my head. Like him (laughs) with his little model of Henrietta and his glue and like her with her cardboard (laughs) trees yeah oh my gosh that would be so sweet do you think that they're a puzzle couple they very well could be i think they might be a puzzle couple i I, don't understand puzzle couples (laughs) but they seem like they could be a puzzle couple (laughs) so mora is so hurt here and so desperate to feel some sort of control over the situation she resorts to saying the chimera is dangerous because it has no airbags Mm mm-hmm and she says she's... Co- <laughs> yeah. And then there's the whole, like, well, our, our car doesn't have... <laughs> our car doesn't have airbags. You usually, you usually bike. bike. Yeah. <laughs> and she says she's consulted with several people. And I'm like, by which she means the Fox White ladies. Who <laughs> um, say she's within she her rights to be upset. <laughs> and she's like, do teenagers still get grounded? Did that only happen in the 80s? This is first really amusing and second gives us more concrete idea of Moore's age. Yeah, and I was wondering how so because I don't think she could possibly be too much older than her late 30s. At least that's my mm. opinion. Maybe. Hmm. But you watched a lot of shows where the kids got grounded in the 80s. So well, that's true. Anyway. And third, it shows that she really has never really tried to discipline Blue. Mm-mm. But again, sometimes you get those kids, it's like, it's just not gonna work. <laughs> Navita is raising her hand, like me. <laughs> My mother gave up on disciplining me when I was two. <laughs> <laughs> And so Mora just gives in finally. And it's like, you're well into it, aren't you? That didn't take long. And then another great line. Kala says, this is what you get, Mora, for using your DNA to make a baby. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and I, I love that. Yeah. And also, I was thinking, this kind of makes it sound like Blue was planned. I don't think at all that Blue was planned, mostly based on the conversations that Persephone and Kala have with Blue when they're tossing Neve's room later. Mm, that's true. They're very much like, your dad was a deadbeat and he swept Mora off her feet and she became an impossible friend for a year and then she got pregnant and he left. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way they frame it. Now, of course, it's Kala and she could be just being somewhat nasty about it. Right. Um, But that was my impression. Right. And then Maura says, Blue, I know you aren't an idiot. It's just sometimes smart people do dumb things. Kala growled, don't be one of them. (laughs) I feel like Maura really is talking about her own decisions here. Not that having Blue was a dumb decision, but this has a, I once did something I shouldn't have feel to it. Uh Uh-huh. And... 
it seems to reflect the other conversations, the ones I was just talking about that the ladies have had about Blue's birth. Right. And I love it. I always love it when Mora turns to Kala and Persephone for backup. It's just Mora calling on her seconds. Very uh-huh. much like Gansey with Adam and Ronan. Right. And Persephone uses her small voice, very quiet. And it struck me that for someone who seems so ethereal, she often tends to ground Mora. It's very much the same thing as Adam and Gansey. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. It's funny because it's like Kala almost is more esoteric or... Right. In a way, and that would make sense as a parallel for Ronan. Mm-hmm. So. So Persephone says she has nothing to add, except she does have something to add, which is actually a warning for Gansey for later in the book. Right. If you're going to punch someone, don't put your thumb inside your fist. It would be a shame to break it. Yeah, and Blue's like, you didn't tell me to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's like, there's that. And then like, Ronan tried to tell him the same thing. Like, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kala's eyebrows hardened. A return of my favorite minor character. Yes, Kala's <laughs> eyebrows. Kala reminds Blue about their movie night, a.k.a. plans to search Neve's room. Oddly enough, the German title she gives checks out on Google Translate. Oh, no, no, no. It's a real movie. (laughs) And I watched the trailer on YouTube. You watched the trailer? Oh, yeah. It's effing (laughs) Werner Herzog. Okay. Do you not know who that is? German expressionist director from the 70s? I don't. He's... (laughs) whoa so i can actually see kala being a fan and also this very much feels like kala is poking fun at blue's height (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) it does We will post a link to the trailer on our show yeah, notes. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Werner Herzog is like David Lynch. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then Blue thinks to herself, Mora wouldn't lie, just not say anything. I'm like, but you've always known that. You know that's how she works. Yeah. So moving on to chapter twenty eight, which is another blue point of view chapter. Blue accompanies Gansey to the site of their first meeting on the ley line, and they share some confessional moments. Blue tells Gansey about her curse, and Gansey tells her about his death. In the process of walking the ley line, they stumble across a set of bones. Who could it be? (laughs) All right. One of the biggest themes I noticed in this chapter was how many times death or death imagery was referenced, even before they find Noah's bones. It was Mm. very, very much like dreams in Cave's Water, just being like, boom, 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 Uh, boom, boom, skeleton, bones, death, dying. Right. Over and over. And one of the things that I liked was the description of the car being a few thousand parts flying in an uneasy formation. Yes, the pig. I love you and I have missed you. (laughs) It has been a while. It has been a while. So Blue asks Gansey, why the church? Why go there? He replies that it's on the ley line, but not what Capeswater is. They both agree that going into Capeswater is like going into someone's house. I totally see how that could be the case, too. Like mm-hmm. I, because it's the heart of the ley line, and the ley line feels like a living thing, and mm-hmm. and it's the home of the Tiralinthes. Right. And it does, it is kind it's of It's more like intimate. To, yes. Yeah. In the midst of this very chummy conversation, though, is one of my favorite disdainful blue lines. <laughs> blue tried not to look at Gansey's boat shoes. She felt better about him as a person if she pretended he wasn't wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> she hates his clothes. <laughs> Which she has nothing to talk about. 
That's the thing. Is like she. It's a fashion disaster on two legs. Not a fashion disaster. Yes, she is. I dressed just like Blue in high school. Fashion disaster. <laughs> and then Gansey pointed at her like he pointed at Adam when Adam made a comment he approved of. Finger guns, right, Navita? I totally wrote down finger guns. <laughs> And then Blue founded a thrilling idea, actually, that the trees were thinking creatures so that they could speak, that they knew her. Again, the feeling of being known, especially by the trees, for Blue is really significant. Uh-huh. And then, turn here, Blue ordered. Makes me think of your exit, dick, Ronan snapped. <laughs> or or dick. It could have been either, really. <laughs> Page 36, Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue. <laughs> so Gansey seems genuinely hurt when Blue criticizes the pig. Because it's a classic, he replied primly. Because it's unique. Yeah, and this did ring to me as well. When Blue asks if they make unique classics that aren't pieces of crap, mm. Gansey answers with an edge of irony in his voice. And it really feels like foreshadowing of the conversation that Dick the Third has with his dad in the Peugeot uh-huh. on page 294 of The Raven Boys. It seems like a long-suffering response. Uh-huh. And then... He put a mint leaf in his mouth and climbed out of the car. Okay, where the hell does he keep the mint leaves? Are they just squished in his (laughs) pant pocket? Are they all gross and wilted? What does he have? Like a business card case he carries around with him? He has a business card case, doesn't he? I think he he does. I think he does. What a nerd. Well, I mean, we knew that. (laughs) I can just see him like opening up the case, selecting the mint leaf, putting it in his mouth, closing the case, putting it in his pocket. <laughs> like the snuff boxes that Yes, exactly. Well I was gonna say cigarette case, but I don't think he no, carried it's a not, cigarette it's case. Not a cigarette case. So it was like, oh, this like etched <laughs> RCG monogrammed business card case with mint leaves tucked into it. It's either that or he just shoves him in his pocket and he's got like a green wad of goo at the end of the day. Either one. Could be either. So the golf box of the pig flies open and an EpiPen falls out and Gansey admits that it's his, but he doesn't elaborate here. Yeah, it's Chekhov's EpiPen appearance number two. Mm-hmm. Also, the car's registration spills out. See? See? Uh-huh. Why didn't they look for that in the Mustang? I don't know because... Doesn't everyone keep their registration in the glove box? Yes. Your registration should stay. Your title should not. Gansey was stretching as if he'd been in the car for hours instead of 30 minutes. Drama queen. Yes, he is. She noticed he had impressive arm muscles. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. (laughs) Do you think he's showing off for her? Probably. Maybe subconsciously. Yeah. I really like the description of the clouds here. Gansey tipped his head back to look at the storm clouds, living things, moving towers. And I could just see that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the way the sky would the look like that. Mm-hmm. And we start to get into ghost story trope territory. Mm-hmm. It was a dark and stormy night. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. mid-afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> a dappled blue-green river twisting back towards town is how the road is described. Mm-hmm. And the slow, faraway growl of thunder, the ruined church. Mm-hmm. It's all very isolated right. language. And I also like this blue had discovered was how Gansey got places, striding. Walking was for ordinary people. Correct. <laughs> yeah. 
And Blue found the church eerier in the daylight, as she always did. And that made me think, how often does she come here except for St. Mark's Eve? Good question. And I don't know that we get an indication of any other time that she visits. Mm -hmm. There was something bleak and meaningless about the church. Mm -hmm. Death with no afterlife. Mm. Yep. (laughs) There it is again. Yeah. Blue wonders if Gansey recognizes the place just as Gansey gets deja vu. Yes, I really loved that. And Gansey sort of caught in his time loop Mm -hmm. here. Blue thinks about how Gansey didn't seem like he could be dead in a year, that he couldn't possibly perish in a teal polo shirt. (laughs) She's not wrong because as we all know, he perishes in Henry's Aglenby sweater. Yep, it's Henry's sweater. (laughs) Blue asked, what's your magic meter doing right now? I love that she's still being snarky about uh-huh. this. And then when Gansey turns to her, she notices his knuckles were pale, bone pressed through skin. And it's more sort of skeletal or death imagery. Right. So while they're skirting around the St. Mark's Eve stuff, the EMF meter pegs. Mm-hmm. And while this happens, they're still bickering back and forth about their clothing. Right. <laughs> Again, fashion disaster. Uh-huh. And Blue's like, oh, we can't be low profile because of your shirt. <laughs> Gansy's like, lead on, eggplant. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is, oh my gosh. Aquamarine is a wonderful color and I won't be made to feel bad for wearing it. Uh-huh. Fave quote? Fave quote. It's a good quote. I now think of this every time I see the color aquamarine. <laughs> it's such a good color though. It really is. I love it. And I won't be made to feel bad for wearing it. <laughs> Gansey is obviously disturbed through this conversation, though, and he keeps flipping back and forth between vulnerable to polished. Mm -hmm. And earlier, when he was looking up the clouds, he says, I hope the weather holds. And here it says, and the weather held, Mm -hmm. which it just pinged me as it's like, it's almost like his wishing makes it so. Mm hmm. And I just want to point out that they literally call each other Dick and Jane here. Yes. And like, so thank you for pointing that out. And yeah. it's like, it's like, oh, that makes so much sense now. Right. <laughs> Gansy looks pained and that takes the fun out of teasing him. Blue, you softy. <laughs> dig in. You gotta dig in. Oh. No, it's not any fun if they hate it. Oh, it's all the fun. <laughs> So Gansey voices his surprise that Blue doesn't seem at all phased by any of this. Blue pretended that she knew what nonplussed meant. Don't we all, Blue? Uh-huh. Don't we all? <laughs> I use it, but I, I don't know if oh, I give a definite definition. I know the definite definition, but that's because I'm a nerd. <laughs> the formal versus informal definition of nonplussed. Uh-huh. And Blue replies that this is, well, it's not like it's normal, but it's how I always thought it would feel to be them, you know, to see things that other people don't. Right. So, like, this is something that she's wanted for a long time. And Gansey talks here about how much faster the search is going since Blue joined. Have we talked about theories involving this and why it took so long for Gansey to find Blue? There's been no indication as to why it would take time for him to have found Blue. Uh We've talked about why it takes so long for him to find Glendower. Right. 
But I mean, other than the fact that they just don't recognize each other every time they see each other at Nino's because no object permanence, I have no idea. (laughs) I was just thinking about how it does seem, like we said earlier, everything is starting to go so much faster now. I would say, and we haven't discussed it, but I would say that without seeing Gansey's spirit walking to the church... Uh Blue has no reason to get involved in his quest. Right, that's true. And so prior to the year that he was going to die, which is this year, she wouldn't have ever gotten involved. He wouldn't have been on her radar. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. He would have just been an asshole douchebag, Mm -hmm. Aglan B-boy. She muses that she realized he was using the tone she heard him use with Adam. And I was kind of like, what tone? (laughs) sort of thoughtful or as an equal and as someone actually involved in this quest when they're discussing these things he does have a specific tone that he uses with adam hmm. so like i think this is her feeling like she's being actually let in and made Addressed. a part of all of this mm-hmm. and then he tells her this is all down to you putting us on the line finally i could kiss you and blue panics at this and like right. starts to tell him about the prophecy. Right. She skitters away and mm-hmm. he, he asks, what was that for? He very much notices her overreaction and makes note of it. And mm-hmm. that's good. That's progression in their relationship. Right. She asks if he actually believes in psychics and he does, mm-hmm. which loops into his internal monologue at the beginning of The Raven King, where he's been told he was destined for greatness. Right. And Gansey laughs at her prediction. Not great. And she avoids <laughs> calling him a bastard and blue really doesn't seem to cuss much at all that's true he would have deserved that though oh yeah (laughs) and gansey says don't date or you'll go blind pretty sure that dating is not the urban legend yeah that's not what that that's not what's gonna make you go blind (laughs) and then after explaining everything blue tells gansey I don't usually tell people, I don't know why I told you, don't tell Adam. And I think deep down she does know why she told Gansey and why she doesn't want Adam to know. Part of her knows what Gansey is going to be to her and what Adam is not going to be to her. Hmm. Gansey does seem to react in a way that can almost be described as jealous. Uh Uh-huh. Gansey's voice when he replied was a little rough. Well, if you killed Adam, I'd be quite upset. Mm -hmm. What exactly is he thinking and feeling here? And why is this conversation happening for the first time from Blue's POV? Uh Is that an effective choice? I think it works. Mm -hmm. It would definitely feel different if we saw it from the other perspective. Right. The silence was uneven and uncomfortable. (laughs) Very much so. Mm -hmm. In return for opening up to Gansey, Blue asks Gansey to summarize why he's looking for Glendower. Mm -hmm. And he starts by explaining about his bee sting allergy. Right. Blue thinks Blue was afraid he was about to flip over to flippant, glossy Gansey. And they very much all have their own coping mechanisms. Uh And that's one of Gansey's. Cavalier? Gansey's big words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He notes here that the EpiPen is really just a formality. And he'll Mm -hmm. likely die even with one sting. And this explains why he didn't have one in Monmouth during Mm. the wasp scene. Yeah. After this revelation, Blue thinks to herself that the death card hadn't been about Gansey's foretold tragedy at all, but rather about his life, how he walks side by side with death every day. Mm -hmm. Or it could be the true meaning of the death card, which is rebirth. Mm -hmm. And it is another mention of death. 
And then Gansey starts to tell his story about how he was stung. And he starts with seven years ago. He was nine or ten and 17 now. So compared Mm -hmm. to the holiday story when he had been visited by the mummers. Right. Once again, his age is very hazy. Right. (laughs) Gansey has to have been born sometime between Ronan's birthday, which obviously we know was before early November based on last episode and <laughs> April. So he only has about a four month window in there that he could have been right. born that his birthday is. I happen to believe he's probably a Sagittarius, <laughs> but. And then Gansey mentions that Vernon says that memories are like dreams. You never remember how you got to the front of the classroom with no clothes on. And of course, Ronan is linked with dreaming. Uh-huh, absolutely. And he thinks he was too old to play hide and seek. Old man, take a drink. (laughs) Take a drink. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I played hide and seek well into my 20s and would probably play hide and seek now. I I was going to say, I haven't played it, but I would. I would. We should do it tonight. (laughs) We totally should. That would be awesome. (laughs) Taking a drink. All right. Blue thinks this Gansey. This storytelling Gansey was a different person altogether from any of the other visions of him she'd encountered. She couldn't not listen. (laughs) He's a good storyteller. There was someone who posted about Gansey as a podcaster. (laughs) I was thinking about all of my very Gansey-like friends, and they all have podcasts. So that makes a lot of sense. A history (laughs) podcast, and it would be great. I would listen to it. It I mean... Basically, Jamie is Gansey. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was spring, but it had suddenly decided it was summer. Virginia spring. You know how it is. Shannon, is that how it is? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the seasons change really abruptly. Okay. Gansey at first thinks that the stings are thorns. They were such small hurts, you know? Oh, Gansey. Uh-huh. And then Blue felt a little sick. Me too, Blue. It's such a horrifying thing to oh. think about. Especially like as like a 10-year-old, 9 or 10. Time, yeah. Blue's heart felt dragged down, snared with venom, like Gansey's heart mm-hmm. when he died. Blue asks if Gansey was scared, and she sees his answer in the hollow of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Very skull-like, as Noah is often described. And then Gansey describes to Blue what it was like to die Mm -hmm. and says that this is the difficult part. And then Blue replies, my whole life is the difficult part. Right. And he's like, nobody believes in what my family does, so I'm not going to laugh at you. Right. Another growl of thunder. The storm Mm -hmm. is building. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he says that how he heard a voice saying, you will live because of Glendower. Someone else on the Leyland is dying when they should not. So you will live when you should not. Yeah. Gansey invokes Noah and the air pressed on them. Uh-huh. His voice was peculiar, formal and certain. It was not a hallucination. Mm-hmm. But Blue would believe him. He doesn't need to convince her. Right. This was the Gansey who had written the journal. The truth of it, the magic of it, possessed her. She is swept up in this truth. Mm -hmm. Once Arthur knew the Grail existed, how could he not look for it? Makes Mm -hmm. me think of he was a king. This was the year he was going to die. Uh And thunder growled beneath them again, the hungry snarl of an invisible beast. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then he continues that, I need to, Blue. Like, I need to look for it. Right. And this, after the quote from Noah, and then the EMF light goes out. And Blue asks, is the battery dead? (laughs) (laughs) Ghosts affect batteries. Also, dead. Uh (laughs) Also, Blue is the battery. (laughs) Correct. Yes. Ganzi would make any IT guy proud. He turns it off and then back on again. (laughs) And then one of my favorite evocative quotes... When the thunder came this time, seductive and simmering, she felt like it started something inside her trembling that didn't stop after the sound had died. Mm -hmm. There was no sign of the sun now. Again, death and playing on those ghost story tropes. Yeah. And then Blue literally trips over Noah's bones. And I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) And Blue says, oh, my gosh, (laughs) which is so cute. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Holy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a bitch. What the hell is that? (laughs) You know what I would say. (laughs) Okay. And Blue thinks everything looked fake. A skeleton in the woods. Mm -hmm. Welk couldn't even be arsed to bury Noah. And animals Mm -hmm. didn't drag away his bones. Any pieces. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? Yeah. And like... Magic. Magic. (laughs) Magic. That's how it's possible. But Welk is such a... Just like out in the middle of the woods yeah. behind a church. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just going to dump him. Oh, it's so And then they don't find him for seven years. I mean, not only that, but like, I mean, killing him was disrespectful, but. Right. And, and then. And again, like, how did he get in there? I don't know. <laughs> we, like, will, we will you, never you, know. You could. Apparently teleport. You could be arsed to move him to there, but not, not bury him. Yeah. I don't. Like, how? 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 <laughs> he left the car at Caves Water. I don't get it. Okay. <sighs> and then possibly the most important description of Noah. Time had spared strange elements and taken others. That is such an accurate description. So good. And then so creepy. His socks are ankle height bags of foot bones. Oh. <laughs> the skull's cheek was smashed in, which makes Welk's POV even more skin crawling. Mm-hmm. Lightning lit the sides of their faces. Blue was very aware of the skull underneath Gansey's skin, mm-hmm. like the skull on the death card. Mm, yeah. Death again. Mm-hmm. And then Blue heard Gansey's breath catch a naked shock. And I know you'll answer this, but was it a shock to you? It was. Mm-hmm. I. This is the point where it's just like, wait a minute, what, Noah? <laughs> <laughs> the face on the driver's license was Noah's. Another ghost story trope, someone meets a person, has a meal slash ride slash conversation with them, and then later sees a portrait of an ancestor or someone who owns the hotel or whatever mm-hmm. and realizes that the person that they met must have been dead all along. Right. Okay, we'll go ahead and go into our deep dive here. Mm-hmm. We have presented a couple of different ghost stories and ghost story tropes that actually apply to Noah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a huge topic. Right. We can't cover every ghost story ever in the world, but we tried to tie them back into how mm-hmm. Maggie uses the ghost story tropes, right. specifically in the Raven Cycle. Yeah, We can't even bring up every applicable ghost story. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> 
<laughs> and something that I found funny, Maggie has said of her own ghost experiences, I do believe in ghosts. I believe in them the same way I believe in albino squirrels. Sometimes when you see something white, it's an albino squirrel, but usually it's just a cat. <laughs> yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I've put together some definitions of the different types of ghosts and some of the tropes that Noah might fall under. And Shannon, I wanted to focus on how Noah's ghostiness connects to specific types of ghost stories and tropes. So I took a few examples of what I think of as iconic Noah traits mm -hmm. and found examples of ghost stories that match those traits. Which is amazing. <laughs> so Noah exhibits the traits of several types of ghosts and different ghostly powers. First would be Noah as an apparition. Mm -hmm. An apparition is the visual representation of a ghost or a spirit, like mm -hmm. a transparent figure or even looking as real as a living person. Uh -huh. They can sometimes hold conversations with people and even interact physically but then will suddenly disappear we see that quite a bit with Noah right also called a phantom which is a type of ghost that closely resembled the living or a specter which at casual glance could be hard to distinguish from a living person uh-huh and a ghostly power and this is from TV tropes is called game face when ghosts do not look the same as when they were alive they can often disguise themselves as such mm -hmm. however posing as a human will usually result in slight flaws in their facade like lacking a pulse or cold skin right just like Noah just like Noah so I called this one everyone thinks he's alive mm -hmm. and yeah for most of the Raven boys but the other characters and the reader at least this one um, <laughs> presumed Noah to be alive, just a regular boy. And there are lots of hints and straight up statements of the truth. Mm -hmm. But this reminds me of a ghost story called The Sweater. There are a few versions of this story, but I found a newer one that happened to fit even better than the one that I was familiar with. Right. So in this story, the main character is driving on a windy, rainy, late October night, and they stop to pull a leaf from their windshield wiper, and they see a boy soaked through by the rain. They call out to the boy and offer him a ride and a sweater to dry off and warm up. It describes the boy as having eyes with dark circles and purple-blue lips and hands that were cold to the touch. Mm -hmm. Our protagonist dismisses these things as the boy being cold and wet. Right. So the boy's house isn't too far from where the protagonist lives, so he tells the boy to keep the sweater until he can drop by to retrieve it later. So he watches the boy head to the front door of the house and is on his way. When he comes back to retrieve the sweater, he's informed that the boy he thought he'd given a ride home has been dead for quite some time. Mm -hmm. A little research by our protagonist uncovers that the boy drowned, and mm -hmm. a visit to the cemetery leads to the recovery of his sweater hanging on the boy's grave. Right. Mm -hmm. So another type of ghost that Noah sometimes falls under would be the poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Poltergeist is a German word that means noisy spirit. They are thought not to be spirits at all, often, but are rather some form of energy often connected with an adolescent, someone going through puberty, mm -hmm. or with someone going through an emotionally trying time. Uh -huh. And they are those spirits that move things around, knock things down. And Noah does this, obviously, several times throughout the books. And also one of the abilities that Noah exhibits is intangibility or phasing. Mm -hmm. And it seems like often the default state of ghosts tends to be intangible. Uh-huh. They can touch and interact with physical objects if they concentrate on doing so. But 
not always. And they have to concentrate very, very hard to do so. It takes right. a lot of energy, as we learn later with mm-hmm. Noah. And then another thing would be invisibility. This applies to Noah in a couple ways. Uh Some ghosts can choose whether they want to be visible to anybody. Others are visible only to the spiritually sensitive or to people with close personal ties to the ghost. Right. And sometimes this is dependent on the ghost's power, with strong ghosts being easier to see than weak ones. Uh And this would fit in with the fact, like you mentioned later, in the counselor's office, she obviously cannot see him. Blue can. Right. I don't have a specific one for this one. Right. uh, So as Noah loses his humanness and presence through the series, his frustrations often take the form of these activities that are seen as poltergeist activities. Yeah. And this actually not necessarily to preclude what you're going to say next, but even in the next couple of chapters, Uh Blue says that they don't see him as often and Adam is studying at Gansey's desk. He feels Noah's presence. Mm-hmm. Noah knocks the mint plant off of the desk. Right. So that would be a time when Noah doesn't have as much energy. Right. Yeah, the scene in Raven King where he's in Blue's counselor's office, like we just mentioned, right. pops to mind. Like just ransacking the room with the mm-hmm. papers going all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah, like, so I don't have a specific ghost story for this one because it's pretty common and the stories are all so similar. Basically, this turned out to be like a type of ghost rather than Correct. specific trope. It's, right. Mm-hmm. Another type of ghost, which Noah could potentially fall in, in certain behaviors or mannerisms, Uh would be the atmospheric ghost. And this type of ghost is only seen in one location and or repeating a certain action over and over Mm -hmm. again. And some investigators believe that they are projected images brought out by the psychic energy stored in the area. And that gets into the stone tapes theory, which we won't go into because it does not apply to Noah. Right. But it's also referred to as a replayed haunting or residual haunting. Right. And you mention the next thing is Noah replaying his death over and over. Right. He does do that. In that way, it is kind of, he's not static, he's not stationary, but mm-hmm. he does have that repeating thing going on. And it makes me think of in the world of darkness role playing games, they call it a blip. It's almost like a recording with, like you said, energy having imprinted a specific moment on an right. area. And the ghost is almost like a gif just repeating over and over right. the right. same moment. And so some of the reasons that Noah might be haunting, and this is again from TV Tropes, One of them might be the avenge me, which is the ghost was killed through foul play. Mm -hmm. He knows it and he wants the murder avenged or I think more appropriately would be the unfinished business. Mm -hmm. Something that was significant or important to the person they used to be when alive remains undone. The ghost hangs around until this is done and may or may not move on afterwards. And this Mm -hmm. one seems more likely to me because Noah's unfinished business is revealed in the Raven King as putting Gansey on his life path. Right. Not avenging himself on Welk. Uh-huh. He doesn't disappear after Welk's gone. Mm-hmm. He has right. a mission and it is to make sure that Gansey survives. Right. He specifically says a number of times that he doesn't want to go yet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Noah stays around much longer than it seems like he should or much longer than it seems like he should have been able to. 
And part of that may just be that he's just plain stuck in the loop. He could be stuck in the Mm -hmm. time loop. And Maggie has said that ghosts live outside of time. Uh So all time within their sort of purview is all the same time. Right. So it's not so much that he's stuck in that loop as he is just seeing everything that's happening all at once. Mm -hmm. And part of it is, like you said, there's stuff he needs to do. Mm -hmm. Things like be there to save Gainsey at the end. Like you said, he has that unfinished business that is what his goal is Mm -hmm. and this is probably the most common ghost story trope of all right and usually the unfinished business is solving their own murder and that's part kind of the avenge me yeah yeah that's part of noah's story but it's definitely not the whole thing Mm -hmm. and there are tons of those tales from hamlet's father right yeah to one that i like the greenbrier ghost the greenbrier ghost is actually a fun example because it's known as the only case where testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. Yep. In 1897, a West Virginia woman named Elva Shue was found dead, crumpled at the foot of the stairs in an odd position. Her husband, Edward, methodically kept anyone from inspecting her neck and head, Mm -hmm. cradling it obsessively and becoming aggressive when the coroner came anywhere near her. This resulted in the doctor not wanting to intrude, dumb doctor, doing only a cursory examination. During the funeral, Edward kept Elva's throat and neck covered by a high-necked dress and scarf. Mm -hmm. It's like, so suspicious. (laughs) Right, yes. So the death was deemed to be of natural causes, and that would have been that, but for the appearance of Elva's ghost. Her mother, Mary Jane Hester, who hadn't liked Edward to begin with. First off, Edward had had multiple wives. Uh (laughs) Aww. Anyway, so Mary Jane Hester reported Elva's ghost had appeared to her four nights in a row, explaining that her husband had killed her by crushing her throat because he didn't like his dinner. Mm -hmm. This story, plus Edward's earlier odd behavior, convinced investigators to exhume the body. And of course, upon actual inspection, the evidence clearly pointed to Edward having indeed murdered Elva. And Mary Jane was allowed to testify at the trial, and the story played well to the jury. And so Edward was convicted. convicted. Yeah. And personally, I think this one was mainly a case of a mother finding a creative way of making sure justice was served. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, nobody's listening to her. Right. But if I bring this story of something that I'm pretty sure that I know is kind of what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So one of the other things that Noah encapsulates or sort of trope that he embodies is at the end, Noah visits Gansey at the time of his death. And he's basically at that point performing a deathbed vision. Mm -hmm. The appearance to the dying of dead friends and relatives. About half of those people who are conscious in the final minutes before death will have this sort of comforting experience of seeing a vision of departed friends or loved ones coming to take them home. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of an inverse. I think you say that as well uh-huh. later in that Noah is telling Gansey to stay. Right. That he has more to do. Mm-hmm. So Noah does a lot of nudging the other characters in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like that's his job. How much of that is ghostness and how much is cycle related? Is... I think they're one and the same. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Because like you were saying, it's out of time. So Correct. therefore he can see everything all at once. Mm-hmm. And that's a good reason why Noah doesn't have a POV because A, how could you write everything happening all at once? And uh-huh. and B, it would ruin the story? Uh-huh. Like you would see the end in the middle. Of... Why would you have a POV of a character <laughs> that knows what the end is? 
mm-hmm. you would have no story at that point. But anyway. Yeah. He imparts important things like, you know, don't throw it away, mm-hmm. leading to the Mustang, right. you know, stuff like that, to the other characters, things that move the plot forward. And it reminds me of the story of the Gray Man, which is a famous ghost seen on Polly's Island in South Carolina. People who have seen the Gray Man describe him as dressed all in gray, hence the name. And he really likes British kings. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he really likes ancient poetry. He really likes Anglo-Saxon poetry. <laughs> really. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, I thought about that too. <laughs> <laughs> and some people add that his clothing looks almost piratical, by which I probably mean like just older. He's a sailor in the 1800s? Uh-huh. Seven, like 1700s, early 1800s? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. Um, He's seen before hurricanes, and there have been recorded sightings before every major hurricane for the past 200 years, possibly. (laughs) I don't know. I can't, like... Blink, blink, (laughs) blink. And were the recorded sightings actually reported pre-hurricane, or were they reported (laughs) post-hurricane? I have no idea. Never mind. We'll cut that part. All right. Continue. Sorry. Um, And the sightings of the gray man are taken as warnings. Mm -hmm. They're also seen as a bit of good luck because there's a belief that if you see him and he is warning by leaving the island, then your house will be spared damage. Right. And one of the powers that Noah encapsulates is somewhat related because of the whole like putting people on their path. Mm -hmm. Psychic powers. And again, this usually kind of leads into telekinesis with potentially poltergeist type activity, Mm -hmm. throwing things around, having tantrums. Noah definitely seems to be able to read people's thoughts or if nothing else, he has seen the future and can extrapolate what those thoughts are based Mm -hmm. on the information that he has. Another trope is ghosts who live, (laughs) exist for too long, may suffer from the fog of ages, which is basically that deterioration, Uh which may result in them kind of breaking Breaking down, their physical appearance becoming less distinct. Maggie has said of being a ghost in the Raven Cycle, your last year's Halloween candy and you're slowly being eaten by cats. <laughs> the dead are not the living. The living are cumulative, additive, growing, changing, becoming more of themselves. The dead are subtractive, decaying, simplifying, rotting. Uh-huh. We very much see that through the yeah, series. Yeah, we do. Another candidate for most used ghost story trope of all time is the spirit who is looking to be laid to rest. Mm -hmm. Noah, for most of the cycle, specifically does not want this. And it's almost an inversion, or at least a reversal, of this trope. Since the gangzy digs his bones up from their final resting place to put Mm -hmm. them back on the ley line so that Noah can stick around. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. That goes back to the unfinished business. Uh Uh-huh. And this type of ghost story goes all the way back to even ancient Greece. Because mm-hmm. in Homer's The Iliad, which was written about 3,000 years ago, Patroclus's ghost confronts Achilles about having not been buried properly. Mm-hmm. There appeared to him, Achilles, the ghost of unhappy Patroclus and all his likeness for stature and lovely eyes and voice and wore such clothing as Patroclus had worn on his body. The ghost came and stood over his head and spoke a word to him. You sleep, Achilles. You have forgotten me, but you are not careless of me when I live, but only in death. 
Bury me as quickly as may be. Let me pass through the gates of Hades. The souls, the images of dead men hold me at a distance and will not let me cross the river and mingle among them. But I wonder as I am by Hades' house of the wide gates and I call upon you in sorrow. Give me your hand. No longer shall I come back from death once you give me my right of burning. Which makes me really sad because uh-huh. if you have not read Madeline Miller's The Song of Achilles, if you want your heart ripped out over this particular story, <laughs> that is a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I am not familiar. I'll have to get out. God, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> So I also mentioned in the body of the last chapter that ghosts are often recognized after the fact by seeing portraits, Mm -hmm. like Gansey seeing the driver's license. Right. Here's a passage from Andrew Lang, and he's the Scottish folklorist of the Rainbow Fairy books fame. So like Mm -hmm. the Blue Fairy, the Red Fairy, all those. Okay. You've read those? I have not, but I'll have to look into them. They're awesome. (laughs) It's found in his book, The Book of Dreams and Ghosts, which the revised edition that I found was published in 1899. Wow. I wanted to go to things that were pre-creepypasta for oh, ghost tropes uh, because yes. so many things have sort of been co-opted in urban legends and creepypasta. Mm-hmm. So what he had to say about this, nothing is more common in literary ghost stories than for somebody to see a specter and afterwards recognize him or her in a portrait not before seen. There is an early example in Sir Walter Scott's Tapestried Chamber, which was told to him by Miss Anna Seward. Another such tale is by Theophile Gautier in an essay on illusions by Mr. James Sully, A Case is Given. A lady who corroborated the story to the press author was vexed all night by a specter in armor. Next morning she saw, what she had not previously observed, a portrait of the specter in the room. Mr. Sully explains that she had seen the portrait unconsciously and dreamed of it. He adds the curious circumstance that other people have had the same experience in the same room, which his explanation does not cover. Mm-hmm. So there are often reveals of mm-hmm. this person that I just bought a beer from and got a right. room from. When I come downstairs the next day, somebody the, completely the, different is there, and somebody, a picture of the person. There's a on... pic- exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's such a typical, typical ghost story that that's how the ghost is revealed is that there's that portrait mm-hmm. there. And I guess just one last comment. There's lots of like Noah deserved better, and it's like Noah did deserve better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He yeah. completely deserved better. That's the point of Noah's story, is that he deserved to have a best friend that didn't smash his face in. Yeah. So A++ on that one. (laughs) Okay, back to the analysis. Chapter 29, an Adam POV chapter. Gansey picks up Adam after a long day spent talking to the police, and they rush back to Monmouth to confront the source of the skeleton. Noah goes creepy-crawly on them, and everyone is stunned by the fact that they didn't pick up on the spoilers in Chapter (laughs) 4. My first comment is, I wish it was still stormy in this chapter. It's it's not, I don't think, but I mean it doesn't really say. It doesn't really say. So in my brain, it is still stormy outside. 
So I just want to say that even after they literally find Noah's license on the skeleton, I was like, wait, what's going on? (laughs) And it took this chapter to make me understand something that, like you said, was spelled out in like chapter three or four. Right. (laughs) Gansey calls Adam at work and asks him to leave, which is something that has never happened before. And the pig pings loudly in the emptiness, the uneven tripping of the engine echoing through the darkness. Mm Mm-hmm. From Gansey's expression, Adam thought that something had happened to Ronan. Maybe, finally, Ronan had happened to Ronan. And I'm like, oh. And it's another instance of Adam showing, but not really realizing, his feelings for Ronan. Mm -hmm. His first instinct is, oh gosh, Ronan. Right. (laughs) This is almost directly quoted in the holiday short story, where Gansey was full of the knowledge that he needed to do something about Ronan Lynch before Ronan did something about Ronan Lynch. Uh Gansey throws the door to Monmouth open with a bang, yelling Noah's name. And I can't think of any other point in the series where we see Gansey genuinely angry, screaming mad. And he is furious here and he feels betrayed. It's interesting. I don't read it that way at all. Mm -hmm. He's not mad. He's just intense. He needs a resolution Mm. to the situation. And he's unsure of what he'll be facing now that he knows the truth. Mm -hmm. Gansey's alarm clock beeped continuously, sounding a warning for a time that has long since passed. Such an ominous line. Right. Adam's fingers searched unsuccessfully for a light switch. This is my literal reoccurring nightmare hellscape. Oh, no. Knowing that something is in a dark room and trying to see in and the light switch won't work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were I'm afraid not of the afraid dark. of the dark at all. That is just like the click, 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 oh, click, just click. The fact that it's not it, the, it will not work. And it's mm. like click, 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 click. Ronan comes out cradling chainsaw, silkily expensive headphones around his neck. I just really like that mm-hmm. phrase. He notices Adam should be working. Ronan has paid enough attention to his schedule to know. Uh-huh. Adam is coldly relieved that Ronan doesn't know what's going on either. Mm-hmm. He finally gets the lights on. The corner is alive with sharp mouth shadows. More fucking nightmare fuel. Uh, this is terrifying. It is. Gansey jerks the alarm cord out of the wall to silence it instead of hitting a button. Again, it's weird nightmare imagery. It is nightmare imagery, but to me, that is one of the other things that clued me into him being angry. Mm. Because that is something that I have seen people do. Like, don't take the time. You're angry. You're not going to take the time to find the button. Just, uh, Which, to me, it's a very ghost story thing where Mm -hmm. something will run without power. Like, the radio will turn on by itself. Uh, And mm -hmm. so you yank the cord out of the wall to cut power to it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I read it. So Gansey questions Adam and Ronan about all the clues we've seen so far and the ones that I should have noticed (laughs) about Noah being dead. You know, the not eating, the constantly clean room, the no shared classes, while interspersed with more yelling for Noah. And Adam and Ronan just think he's flipped. They think he's just like off the deep end. They don't know what's going on. Gansey turns to look at the corners, the rafters, searching places that no one would ever find a roommate. 
Adam thinks it's odd that this is over Noah. Noah, who could go unnoticed for hours. Uh-huh. Gansey pointed at Adam's chest like he was shooting a gun or making a point. Okay, this is not exactly the finger guns I was hoping for. <laughs> Ronan opens Noah's door, being flippant and coarse, and Adam notices graceful. <laughs> he asks if he's looking for drugs or girls or guns. All things that you wouldn't expect from Noah, for mm-hmm. sure. Maybe pre-dead Noah, but not now Noah. And then Ronan strokes chainsaw, possibly for comfort. Mm -hmm. It was a strange moment in a strange evening and if it had happened the day before it would have struck Adam that he rarely saw such thoughtless kindness from Ronan. Uh Ronan, again, needed something to love and care for. Absolutely. And Gansey asks, does he pay rent? (laughs) There's been a a pretty hilarious Tumblr thread by username Declan Apologist, which I just want to be best friends with them because of their username, about Ronan being the Monmouth building manager. (laughs) It's really pretty great. And then Gansey explains that he went to the church with Blue and both Ronan and Adam were jealous. Mm -hmm. Don't look at me like that, both of you. (laughs) Adam, deep and unexpected, a wound that kept stinging. That does not sound tentative to me. Also, he seems to indicate that he's not sure what inflicted the wound. Jealous of Blue or jealous of Gansey? Uh-huh. Ronan stares at Gansey, his silence, a weapon and a shield. Mm-hmm. Adam felt like he had dreamt the answer to this question, or his intuition, or his logic. Uh-huh. And so here, Gansey finally tells Adam and Ronan about what happened. And this is when Noah shows up. Right. There's a really long beat between when Gansey asks if they know whose body it was and when Noah shows himself. The door slams, which is that poltergeist type activity. Mm -hmm. The papers move and Noah apparates in his empty room. Uh This all serves to ratchet up the tension in a true ghost story fashion. Right. Noah's skin was as pale as part. Parchment, eyes shadowed and unspecific. As soon as their brains know what to look for, the truth is revealed. Uh-huh. The smudge looked like dirt or blood or possibly his bones crushed beneath his skin. And Adam doesn't know yet how Noah died or was killed. Uh-huh. But here he actually sees it. Right. And Gansey was under control now. What Gansey needed out of life was facts, things that he could write in his journal, things he could state twice and underline no matter how improbable those facts were. Uh-huh. Now that Gansey has confirmation that Noah is dead or a ghost, his world is upright again. Uh-huh. And it's so hard not to read everything in this chapter. <laughs> yes, it's all so important. And after being confronted, Noah's voice was plaintive. I told you... And I'm like, yes, you did. Over and over and over again. And they they (sighs) couldn't hear it. Waterworks. (laughs) I'm so sad for Noah, my smushed muffin. (laughs) It was ludicrous that they hadn't noticed. The magic or ghostiness provides static for your brain to fill in those Uh details for itself. Reality was a bridge breaking beneath Adam. And this might be where he really starts to believe. Mm -hmm. Shit, man, Ronan said finally, a little desperate. All those nights you gave me grief about keeping you awake and you didn't even need to sleep. Oh, fucking (laughs) Ronan. I love you so much. And I can understand your tendency to use sarcasm as an emotional deflection or coping mechanism. Uh-huh. 
Adam was suddenly profoundly aware that Noah was a dead thing and he was not. And it's odd how none of them noticed the creepy until right now. Ronan has been dropping hints that Noah is creepy. Uh-huh. And I wonder, had he caught on to the edge of the magic? We've talked a little bit about this in past episodes. Like, the exchange when Ronan admits he got chainsaw out of his head. He, A, calls Noah creepy in that. But Noah says it was a scary place. Again, uh-huh. the psychic connection. And Ronan says, not for chainsaw. And there's mm-hmm. another instance... The wasp scene where Ronan is listing all of the things that are weird. Uh-huh. And he mentions, he mentions Noah. Noah. Yeah. And we, at that point, questioned why he would mention Noah. Uh-huh. So he has kind of been clued in. For some reason, he has known mm-hmm. or had a, an inkling, I guess. And Adam thinks, were they looking at a boy or something that looked like a boy? Adam wanted to say, don't push him, Gansey. I'm always in awe of Adam just getting it because like immediately knowing don't push it'll end bad things. And Maggie has said rule one of being a spirit in the Raven cycle universe. It isn't about me, baby. It's about you. (laughs) I have a pair of sunglasses that are so reflective that even though I'm the one wearing them on my face, when someone looks at me, all they see is themselves. Hmm. When they discover that Noah is dead, they more often see both his living Noah form. And this is after they find out that he's dead, obviously. Mm -hmm. They more often see both his living Noah form, not real, and his busted up dead body form, totes real. Mm -hmm. Their minds know the truth and project both into the space in front of them. Noah didn't change. Their minds did. Uh Uh-huh. And then in Ronan's hands, Chainsaw began to scream. This reminded me so much of the Opal short story. Uh-huh. And it made me question, do you think she's picking up on Ronan's emotional turmoil? Almost certainly. And Noah looks frightened of Chainsaw's screaming. I don't want to talk about it. His posture returns to the boy they knew. Noah shrinks away and Adam wonders if this was how Noah was like when he was alive. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Or was this a function of being dead, of trying to hold an ordinary conversation? Mm -hmm. And Noah here is starting to run out of energy. Right. And they open up the door after Noah has disappeared. The room inside was stark and untouched. The bed so clearly unslept in. Mm-hmm. Adam thinks nothing was the truth until he could put his hands on it. This is Adam. <laughs> and then I love the last line of this chapter. Ronan asks him what's going on. And Adam just replies, we're being haunted. Mm-hmm. Very <laughs> matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. Those are the chapters for this time. Woohoo! Ah, now is the... Most valuable character. <laughs> Did you pick one? Uh, yeah. It probably seems a little cliche, but I'm going to go with Noah. Noah! Yeah! Did, did we do it? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I, I mean, like, it just makes sense. Yeah, because everything in these is being driven by, by at least... Mm-hmm. In some respects, is being driven by Noah. Right. Even though he is kind of a minor character in the chapters, his story is what's moving everybody right. else forward. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, that was a fast MVC. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maggie, watch. 
So in the Opal special episode, we said that Maggie would be doing a few appearances close to home, but she had canceled most of her appearances due to ongoing health issues. Unfortunately, she has since had to cancel all appearances. We wish her 100% health as soon as humanly or inhumanly possible. Absolutely. And we still offer our services as guides if she needs to travel to the Pacific Northwest in order to break an ancient curse. Yep. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) All right. And then a supporter shout out. So many folks have been Mm -hmm. super supportive in passing on our posts or giving us feedback through Tumblr or Twitter. So thank you each and every one. Yep. We do see it. And I wanted to especially thank 13wyvern7 on Tumblr because all of your messages and tags have always been super, super supportive. Uh We do notice, we do appreciate them. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. And I also wanted to thank the Raven Cycle Brazil, T Raven Cycle BR on Twitter, for publishing a really awesome article slash recommendation for the podcast on their website. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. We are so touched and we love you guys so much. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think yeah, that that's should be it. it. Feels weird. Like, yeah, it should be longer. We something. did it. <laughs> so yeah, with that, thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 30 through 32 of The Raven Boys with a deep dive on adder or holy stones. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon does not know what those are. I don't. So I'm looking forward to learning. <laughs> However, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we will be covering next. And please send us your thoughts. We would absolutely love to have your contributions to the conversation with questions, theories, fan casts, etc. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S. On Twitter at Ravengirls. On Tumblr at Ravengirls.tumblr.com. Facebook at Facebook.com slash Ravengirls. And you can reach us directly at Ravengirls at gmail.com. You can reach me at SubstanceParty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at SubstanceParty with all of the A's taken out. S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! (laughs) Okay, back to the analysis. Chapter 29, an Adam POV chapter. (laughs) (laughs) leave it in (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean for it to be that funny (laughs) it was so matter of fact leave it in Laughing for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much. <laughs> <laughs>